On tonight's episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway, we visit a tragic story of Elisa Lamb in her travels to explore and find herself. May it serve as a reminder, a cautionary measure to think twice before booking that hotel for a deal too good to be true. Please give us a listen as we share the tale of the Hotel Cecil. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded we become, fearful to be deceived. Still we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. We want to lead in by saying we know it's been a while. Bill, it is so good to see you face-to-face again. It's been a long time. I know I've been busy with my work schedule. Busy, busy Um, man. Unfortunately, that that provided me with absolutely zero stability. And so we really didn't know when we'd be able to get together and start recording. The time has finally arrived. And my commitment to Eric and to this is that we're just going to try to record as many as we can when we have the opportunity. and, And that means that we may be a little unreliable in the near future but more reliable than we have been in the last eight yeah. months so we, we may <laughs> skip a week here and there but but the plan is to put out as many of these as we possibly can we definitely appreciate everybody that's that's held on tight all the inquiries want to make sure we're all safe and alive still and uh it, it means a lot we appreciate it very much so without further ado let's go ahead and kick off the unofficial the third un- season third season of nightmares on the lost highway you bet so The Cecil Hotel, a budget hotel located at 640 South Main Street in Los Angeles, uh, built in 1924 by, and I might say this word wrong, hoteliers, I think is how you say it. Hoteliers, huh? William Hanner, Charles Dix, and Robert Shops. Some interesting names there. It's a 19 floors with 700 guest rooms, and it was meant to be the destination for business travelers and tourists. I think it cost a million dollars at the time to build, I believe. 1.5 is what I have here. 1.5 million dollars at the time. And I think it was basically because of the big 1919 boom city expansion, you know, they tried to jump in and get some of that. Yeah, it officially opened its doors on December 20th of 1924, uh, and it flourished as quite a fashionable destination in the 1940s. But the hotel saw decline over the decades. Um, of course, its location being what it was, it was near to the area known as Skid Row, which became increasingly populated with transients, with as many as 10,000 homeless people living within a four-mile square radius. Right. In 2011, part of the hotel was purchased and renamed the Stay on Main in an attempt to distance itself from its dark past. Very interesting twist there, yeah. And and I think we'll, we'll probably dig into these as we go through sort mm-hmm. of the timeline. In 2014, it was purchased by hotelier Richard Bourne, and it was closed for renovation in 2017 with plans to be finished by October 2021. Well, we all know in the 2020, you know, what with COVID being what it is, it's still shut down. They, they've not been able to finish the renovations. Right, right. And in that time, it's been designated a historic cultural monument by the city of L.A. Now. That's one way to put it. Yeah, we, we talk about this lovely hotel that was sort of the destination back in the 40s, and 
and a, a really unique for its time. I yeah. mean, again, as you touched on it, 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 it kind of was a luxury hotel, but it wasn't really designed. It was more for the average Joe, uh, you know, a traveling hotel, a stop, a destination. And why would we talk about such a place on a podcast such as ours, if not for the fact that the hotel over the years developed quite the reputation for violence, suicide, and murder? Yes, and, and we were talking a little bit off air before we started recording. This isn't the typical that you would expect for a paranormal and you know investigation. There's not a lot of you know oh, ghosts yeah, and like, thumpings and bumpings in the night. And, yeah, the, and the ghost stories you would expect are, are not there. This is just real brutal murder, suicide, insanity. There are believed to be at least eighty deaths associated with the Hotel Cecil. At least sixteen of those are currently unexplained, and and I think we'll just start off. I've I've got a sort of a timeline list here. I've got a couple of those. Yeah, go ahead. So, the first documented suicide happened the evening of January 22nd, 1927. A, a gentleman, Percy Ormond Cook, 52, shot himself in the head inside his hotel room after failing to reconcile with his wife and child. The LA Times reported he was rushed to the hospital immediately with a slim chance of survival, and he died later that same evening. So, on November 19th, 1931, a guest W.K. Norton dies in his room after taking what they call poison capsules. Poison capsules. And he had checked in just one week prior under the name James Willies from Chicago. <laughs> Which, if you're going to use a made-up name, James Willies? Willies? Really? That's one. the best you got? September 1932, uh, a maid found Benjamin Dodick dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. He had left no suicide note. July 1934, former Army Medical Corps Sergeant Borden is found dead in his room, his throat slashed with a razor. Mm. He had left several notes, citing uh, his failing health for his reason as committing suicide. March 1937, Grace Magro fell from a ninth-story window, her fall broken by telephone wires which wrapped around her body Oh, before depositing her on the ground. Wow. Uh, she later died in the hospital. Uh, the police could not determine. Later, died in the hospital. This yeah. woman was alive for a yeah. period of time. Oh, oh. Uh, police would not could not determine if it was suicide or accident. And there's a lot of people falling out of windows in here too. Well, yeah, that was that was a thing. Later on, I came across. I, I guess you know this place. This this is vile darkness den. But there was like a mobster or something up on one of the top floors, and that was kind of his thing. If you crossed him. He would throw you out of like the, the you know the fourteenth story window yeah. to your death. I mean that was well, and, his and thing. Even later on, like like we were talking about, they they hired a hotel manager and they started walking through and they were like, oh, somebody yep. died in this room and somebody and died room. in that room. Yep. And then finally, she was like, "Was well, there a room that no one's died in? Yeah, show me that one." All right, nineteen January nineteen thirty eight. U.S. Marine Corps Fireman Thompson jumps from the top floor and was found on the skylight of the neighboring building. Ooh. Uh, imagine being the person to find that. Uh, he had stayed at the Cecil for several weeks prior. May 1939, Navy Officer Irwin Eblett found dead after ingesting poison. Again, poison. 19, January 1940, teacher Dorothy Seeger ingested poison while staying at the Cecil. She was found, found near death and listed as having passed on the 12th. September 1944, Dorothy Jean Purcell was sharing a room with her boyfriend. This one's a tragic story. This one, There's a little more detail to this one. Uh, but Dorothy Jean was with uh, her boyfriend, shoe salesman Ben Levine, 
Uh, she went into labor unaware that she was pregnant. Oh, wow. She, she later testified in court that she did not want to wake Levine with this ordeal. I'm pregnant, having, I assume, your child, but hey, sleep. I don't want to wake you. So she goes into the bathroom. She gives birth to a baby boy. And, you know, not being a medical professional, not knowing any better, she thought the baby boy was dead upon birth. Mm. And so she threw the body from a window. Oh. Where it landed on the roof of an adjacent building. Oh. Uh, she was charged with murder. However, after the testimony of three different psychiatrists, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Wow. November 1947, Robert Smith, and I'm going to assume it's not from the cure. <laughs> uh, he dies after jumping from a seventh floor window. Now, I, I, I do put jumping in here a lot because that was kind of the way. Some of these may not have been jumps, but right. they were listed as Some such. Some may have been pushes or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> October 22nd, 1954, Helen Gurney, San Francisco stationary firm employee, Jumped from a seventh floor window. She landed on the hotel's marquee. Ugh. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just trying to envision this. Out of all the ways, if if you're going to end your life tragically, and that's horrible, of course, but jumping out of a window, that, oh. We'll see you way back. And I'm going to say that way back because way back. I'm old. Uh, in my college days, because uh, I was not quite decided in the first couple of years, I took a a wide variety of courses. And one of the things that I took was a criminal justice class. Mm -hmm. And the guy that we took the class with was a, an MP. He worked for as a military police officer for some time. And he had a bunch of crime scene photos that he showed us and stuff like that. You know, pretty grisly pretty stuff. Pretty gruesome stuff, yeah. But one of the things he talked about especially was that jumping or falling to your death is the least reliable, one of the least reliable ways to commit suicide. That would be my luck. I'm sorry, yeah. And yeah, like if you if you make a mistake and you don't die, then your life is permanently changed. So, Well, you mentioned the lady that jumped and hit the telephone wire. Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't pre-planned. You know, it's like, oh, this, this is going to be bad. This is going to be quick. Oh, maybe not so quick now. Yeah, but jumping to your death is not considered, you know, it's not the most reliable way to do it. Oof. Not that we're advocating no, in any no, way, shape, or form. No, no, not at all. Just to say that. All right. February 11th, 1962, a Julia Moore jumps from her eighth floor room and lands in a second story interior light well. Hello there. Ugh. <laughs> again, some of these. Uh, she did not leave a note. No one knows why uh, she committed suicide. But again, that's another one of those where, like, imagine being the person to find that. Yeah. I mean, some of these are not good. You know, it's awful. Well, and that leads me to the one I, I, I was talking to you about in 1962 time frame. Yeah. There was the husband-wife dispute. Be, be on October 12th. October 12th. And the woman, from what I understood reading the story, is trying to, you know, get the husband's attention. They, I'm going out the window. I'm going to jump off, you know, trying yep. to punish him. She leaps out the window and lands on a passerby down before some guy just going about his business kills both of them instantly. It was the uh, Pauline Otten was the jumper. It's like, what and a way for your day. George Giannini was on the sidewalk. And the po police initially believed they had both committed suicide together, not realizing that she had landed on him in the process. What's the odds? Gee. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's a. This place is twisted. Like, it, it's, it's, it's a kind of a messed up way of putting it, but that's a, was a two for one there? Two for one, uh, yeah. June 4th, 1964, retired telemarketer Pigeon Goldie Osgood. Yes, I read about this one. She, uh, she had earned her nickname because she liked to go to a nearby park and feed the pigeons. Yep. So she was kind of known. Um, 
She had been a long-term resident of the hotel. She found dead in her room. Uh, again, this is another bad one. Yeah. She'd been found raped, stabbed, beaten. Her room had been ransacked. And stabbed multiple times, I think. Jacques B. Ellinger was charged with her murder. He was seen covered in blood wandering the streets not too far from the Hotel Cecil. Uh, he was later cleared as a suspect. Why he was wandering the streets covered in blood is yep. beyond me. Just but normal, nothing to see here. Later cleared as a suspect, and, and the murder remains unsolved. It's another one of those unsolved mysteries of the hotel. December 20th, 1975. A still unidentified woman jumped from her 12th floor window. She was registered at the hotel under the name Allison Lowell. And in, uh, in 1980s, the Hotel Cecil was believed to be the residence of famed serial killer Richard Ramirez. Yes. Known as the Night Stalker. Yes. He was a regular presence in the Skid Row area of L.A. And according to a hotel clerk who claimed to have speak to him, he is rumored to have stayed there for several weeks. I believe he killed for sure 14 people, elderly, children. Uh, I read an account where it was quite common, and they interviewed some of the people, that this guy would just come up through the back alley after doing his deed. He would uh, strip off his bloody clothes, toss them in the trash, and then walk into the back door and up the steps in bloody underwear and socks to just casually walk back into his room. How bad does a place have to be that that doesn't even get noticed? Right? And, you know, I'm... I mean, mind you, if I if I see someone walking around in bloody underwear, I'm going to assume there's a problem. Yeah, that's not normal. That's not normal. Now, also, I, I was reading a little bit on him. This this guy was out there. He, uh, he self-proclaimed that he brought some of his victims there. Uh, he would remove their eyes to keep them as souvenirs. Uh, he often would handcuff the victims to, like, the old radiator heaters there. And some of the bodies that they found, he nearly decapitated wow. as they were handcuffed there. I mean, I'm sorry. You, there would have to be blood-curdling screams coming from this room. And who, how, how can you not notice this? Again, the Cecil must have been a crazy place. This, things like this went unnoticed. Neighbors are just having a party. Just carry on, kids. It's nothing new. We hear it all the time. Yeah. On August 30th, 1985, a group of L.A. residents spot Ramirez in the street, and they prevent him from escaping until the police can arrive to arrest him. In 1989, he was convicted of 13 murders and sentenced to death. I had 14, so 13, 14. And if I remember correctly, I believe he died before his sentence could be sentence. carried out. I think you're correct. Yep. On a podcast called Nightmares from the Lost Highway, we, we may do uh, some serial killer episodes eventually, I think. Yeah. I we, think we have one scheduled right now, as a yes, matter of fact. Yes, so we do. In 1991, another serial killer, Austrian Jack Unterweger, stayed at the Cecil. Um, uh, it's rumored that he was sort of a quote-unquote fan of Ramirez yeah, and so kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps. Um, while he was there, he was known to have strangled and killed at least three sex workers. So Sex workers. Prostitutes? Where, well, yeah. Was, uh, I'm going to try to use the, the f nice terms. The nice terms. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, September 1st, 1992, an unknown male body is found in the alley behind the Cecil. Uh, police say he had either fallen, jumped, or been pushed from the fifth floor. Around 2008, long-term residents began to refer to the Cecil as the suicide. I can see why. I've got, uh, I found one hotel review that came, uh, came to surface. The review simply said, come to the Cecil or your dreams come to die. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I thought that was uh, called Emerson. <laughs> I probably should not make that joke if certain people listen to this. But yeah, I mean, 
this kind of brings us into the the new dawning of the era when they try to redo the hotel and all that. And rename it the Stay on Main. The Stay on Main. Hey, that has a nice ring to it. You know, it sounds real kind of bed breakfasty. Well, uh, not necessarily that Cecil sounds bad, but no, of course the connotations there. Yeah, there's such a, a reputation of bloody footprints that, that follow the <laughs> path. Let's try to rename it. But some new owners came along, and and honestly, from a business standpoint, this was pretty ingenious. Uh, but I think they kind of come into some trouble. They come in, they invested some money. They were going to do a total renovation, you know, change everything. And then it was like the city come in and they're like, eh, eh, eh. you know, this is part of our established homeless community, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. Skid Row that we had talked about. And so they said, because this has been existent for so long, at least a certain portion, let's just say 50%, I'm not exactly sure, but has to remain semi-permanent dwellings, not like yeah. an overnight stay, monthly rentals, if you will, for uh, for people that's there. Uh, so they come up with this ingenious idea. I mean, you're, you've invested millions of dollars in this. There's no turning back. you got to do <laughs> something. So we'll make two entryways, uh, two lobbies, but the problem is it's one building and there's two elevators. And if you get on the wrong elevator, you might see that homeless guy not dressed or maybe the guy in the bloody underwear the, the, or what? Yeah, covered in blood yeah, yeah yeah so again you know what what kind of place are you working what kind of place are you staying where that's acceptable yeah, let's, let's just hey he's covered in blood well eric i think the next one we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the events of january 31st 2013 and i believe you were going to talk about those that was a young lady by the name of elisa lamb from vancouver canada and when we decided to kind of this is a popular story. You can find a lot of information on this very, very tragic story. Uh, but we just wanted to follow one particular individual's path that led to the, uh, the Hotel Cecil, or some call it the Cecil Hotel. Uh, she was a 21-year-old graduate and uh, basically you know, just trying to figure out her next steps in life. Uh, she was a self-proclaimed introvert and a bookworm. Uh, she was one of two daughters. Her parents were immigrants from Hong Kong, uh, and the girls were first-generation American citizens. Uh, the parents uh, owned a Chinese restaurant. I won't say they were well-to-do, but you know they were they were pretty well self-established, allowing the the girls to be able to go to college. And Elisa started blogging, and this was one of her ways that she dealt with some of her mental uh, health issues that she had. And well, she was a been diagnosed with an extreme form of bipolar disorder and had tried many medicines yeah. some that had very bad side effects and had believed that she had found uh, a medicine that was working for but what's really unique about this case is because she was blogging and i, I think tumblr was her uh, platform of choice she give us the entire story step by day by day by day on this trip that led her to the to the cecil hotel but she writes, and these are kind of some quotes, you know, bless the internet. The internet doesn't really have any consequences. <laughs> People can really be themselves. Yeah, you can be yourself. But that's uh, not to say there's no consequences. And she even says, it's way cheaper than paying a therapist. And I want to experience it all. That's, uh, man. Yeah, these Imagine are, thinking the internet was your, your, your therapist. Path to therapy. Yeah. yeah. And she goes on and she goes, you know, besides, I get intense satisfaction when I click publish. I feel like when I share those things, it, it takes a load off. Well, you know, Eric, every, every, well, I was going to say every couple of weeks or every week, but 
whenever our erratic schedule allows. When I do click the publish button on one of these episodes, it feels, it does, it feels like yeah, I've done I something. I relate to that, yeah. But she says, you know, she's stressed about the university. Somehow, we're supposed to jump to some type of maturity right after leaving high school. You know, you enter a crash course into this, in her words, a shithole, trying to figure <laughs> out what we're supposed to do with the rest of our lives. Oh, uh, I think we can all sympathize with her I, feelings. I remember that. You know, you get out of high school and it's like, okay, hey, congratulations, you're an adult. Here's your badge. Go win the world. I'm still trying to figure out the adult part of that. And then you go to college and you're like, okay, now I'm supposed to be equipped to handle the world. And I still don't have a clue, you know. But she has got a point where she's got a summer a, a possible summer trip away and she blogs that she's really looking forward to this and she's like you know i've got to get some money to make the the travel and i think i want to take a summer vacation if she can get her parents to buy into it and allow her to go <laughs> and she goes after all you know i'm freaking 21 years old i'm an adult here you know i'm making some decisions so she says i'm going to get away going to be okay you know these are her things well you have to kind of see she's she's going through some stuff I mean, she's trying to find herself yeah. like we talked about, but she plans this trip to go to San Diego, then to Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, San Francisco, and just basically do a West Coast tour. You know, it sounds great. So she writes right on the internet, suggestions, recommendations, appreciated, help, please. And she's please just putting herself some, out there. Did, did someone direct her to the Hotel Cecil? That is where I was leading with it. There was no correspondence when the police went through everything, but she did post, I'm not opposed to hooking up. I'm not opposed to meeting people. That's what this trip is about, is the experience. Wow. So that kind of sets the stage. And this, Well, and, and of course, the Cecil did have quite the reputation for that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, she took the trip. Um, she Again, she was blogging the entire time. And she wrote uh, in her blog that she'd arrived to La La Land and the rest <laughs> is to be written. You know, when she was in the Hollywood area, she traveled by herself. There was nobody with her. She did spend a few days in San Diego, uh, then came to Los Angeles. That was on the 28th of January in 2013. The parents said that the last they heard from her was on January 31st. And that was the agreement. You know, if you want to go take the trip, you have to call us every day and check in. Yeah, well, as a parent, I mean, I know, understand that my kids in Columbia going to college, and he, he, I, you know, he has to call me once a week at least. Yeah. And honestly, we probably text on a daily basis. And and again, you know, and if something happened abruptly and that stops, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, and, and you know, I just want to say we're talking about her, her, her mental state and all that. You know, I mean, it's a stressful time for a person. Yeah. And, and like you say, I mean, my kids Unknown in college territory and, he's, and you know, he's he's needing a little help now and then. You know, hey, dad, how do you how did you deal with these things and you know, of course, my college experience was a little different, but yeah, I mean, life's, life's hard at that age. It is. It is. You're, and again, you're trying to figure out life. But there was two in particular uh, LAPD uh, detectives that was on the case early on and stayed on the case. And that was a Tim, and I may butcher this last name, Tim Marcia, and also a Greg Caddy. And Greg Caddy had spoken with the family and uh, you know got all the details, stated Alicia had planned to call them every day. And, and since she had left on the trip, she had. And so the police, obviously, you know, you, you have a certain protocol that you follow. And, and uh, the policeman was like, well, maybe she just wanted to go off the radar and not be found. She's trying to unplug, find herself. Maybe she gets, got turned around. I mean, it's a big city out there. If she you know, wasn't it's, used to that, got lost. It's one of those things, though, like, uh, you know, when an adult goes missing, they kind of downplay it at first. Yeah. 
until it's obvious that something bad has happened. Yeah. And then they make, then it's a, you know, it's huge. Well, and that led to scenario three, obviously something much worse yeah. than any of those. Now at the time, uh, you could get rooms at the Cecil for about $85 a night. Uh, the hotel commonly had several uh, nationalities who stayed there, came and gone freely. They had an advertised special online uh, that said, you know, stay on Maine. It's obviously part of the program for the Cecil Hotel that we touched upon. I think we talked about this a little earlier. You kind of touched on it, and maybe I'm kind of just rehashing. But half of the building has was designated like it had to stay a certain way. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong. Lower income, we'll call it. But I believe the way it's structured is, is like you said, there's two different entrances now. There's the Hotel Cecil side, and then there's the Stay on Main side. Mm-hmm. It, it's essentially two built two hotels, one building at one this building. point. And basically, the lower floors were the Stay on Main, and then the upper floors. Of course, there's no 13th floor, as, yeah. as common. But those upper floors were where the more long-term residents stayed. And yeah. again, proper terminology, but lower income uh, people who stayed there you know, for months and months at a time. So, yeah, you could literally walk through this door and stay on Maine, you know, uh, stay right there in the middle of the hub of it all. I mean, that's, that's the downtown, <laughs> but then right kind of on the backside is Skid Row. And that was the entrance into another separate lobby. It was kind of, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, but a, a rouge of, of types. And yeah, almost, yeah. Like, okay. Like to use the term, like they kind of whitewashed part of it. And- yeah. Yeah. Like, this is fancy hotel. No, it's it's still the it, Hotel Cecil. Literally, you could just kind of like walk through one door and it would be the difference of daylight and dark. Yeah. You know, and some of the people that stayed there spoke about, well, the one elevator was busy, so we got on the other elevator. Well, it was kind of the unwritten rule. This elevator was for the upper floors. This one was for the lower floors. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, here you are with your, maybe you got a family and your kids. And seriously, here's this person that's maybe strung out on... Goodness like, knows what. Someone wandering around in bloody underwear. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, hey, I'm your neighbor. I'm, I'm <laughs> staying on the floor up above you. But uh, she did get checked into the room. We know that. Um, the police followed using her own blog that she attended a uh, like a game show as an audience member while she was uh, there. But even there, uh, if you dig deeper into the story, uh, Security was called to escort her off the premise of the game show. So do we want to say that the Wheel of Fortune drove her mad? (laughs) (laughs) We're not sure what was going on here, but the thought is maybe her medication is not working or maybe she's not taking the medication. She became irate, I guess, as one of the audience members and made some threats even. so. Now, again, I I mentioned that she had... uh the extreme form of bipolar and her sister is even on record as testifying that, that she commonly would not take her medication as prescribed. Yes. I remember reading that. So it, it's possible that, yeah, she, you know, to use the term, but she was off her meds and, and maybe this was just the first step in, in the, the tragedy break. that becomes her story. Well, the police were notified when the family, I think, Two, maybe three days had passed. They had not heard from her. And like you said, it's kind of a lower key, it seems like, when you report somebody missing at first. Well, and especially somebody on this, you know, journey of self-discovery. When adults go missing, they always ask, well, that person just left. Right. So. Right. And you got to keep in mind now, the police in this area, obviously, they're very familiar with the the multi-lobby and you have Skid Row. One officer they interviewed and they're like, 
you have no idea. It was very common to get 10 to 12 phone calls, reports a night just to the hotel. And he says literally calls ranged from a sniper that was in one of the hallways yeah. that had no ammunition but was literally going pew, pew, oh, pew, oh, pew, yeah. pew. No, it, it's documented that there are, there is on average three, call, three 911 calls to the Cecil per day. They One guy tried to, well, he did light the carpet on fire in the hallway <laughs> and was like walking through it. Uh Totally, uh, other calls would be like totally naked people wandering, you know, around the hotel and the street. So, I mean, all of this has kind of got to be filtering through the police. And it's like, you know, I'm sure they're like, well, we, we have a lady that's from Canada that's yeah. come here to stay. Yeah. So they start checking into her room. And this is where, I don't know, a lot of stuff on the Internet really started kind of blow loose. It's what exactly is going on here. Her room had been totally cleaned. The staff had come in and picked everything up, removed all of her personal belongings, you know, which, by the way, included, uh, stated as her medicine, her purse, her laptop, which I mentioned well, she blogged constantly with. I have here that her prescription bottles uh, seem to be full and that they Good contain point. the original full uh, prescription. Again, ding, ding, ding. And all that was just collected and put in a bag and put into holding because, again, this wasn't that uncommon. Yeah, I mean, and this is the way the staff people, of the hotel dealt with it. Disappear in the Cecil all the time, and but of course, this kind of frustrated the police and the family. It's like you know, why? Why would you? You know, we we don't have the the room to basically investigate. Uh, they did interview the people who came in, and they said, well, it, the room was a mess. It looked like, you know, I'm sorry, but a, a typical young person may have stayed there. And, I can envision pizza boxes and stuff, you well, know, disarray. If she, if she had a mental disorder and she was not taking her medication. Very true. You know, erratic, crazy behavior. But they did say, you know, it wasn't like they saw signs of a struggle or there wasn't any blood yeah. or, you know, there wasn't anything like that. Which, you know, if we, if we want to start talking about it now, the, the now famous footage you know, we, we say the elevator footage. No sign of a struggle. And then there there you have this elevator footage. Um and you can look this up. It's all over the internet. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but she enters one of the elevators and, and kind of seems normal at first. Yeah, yeah. But then she starts, like, looking out the door, like, looking up and down yeah, the hallway. And she starts pushing and starts hitting the buttons. buttons on, yeah, like, she's in a panic mode. And then, like, she'll fully step out of the elevator and then step back in. And, one and of then, the, like, hide around the corner yeah, like she's like, hiding from someone. And then it was also noted that the elevator's not closing. You know, she's in there, there's, I don't know, several minutes, and the door's yeah, no, not it's, closing. It's definitely long enough that the door should have closed. And so a lot of the, the internet uh, sleuths, if you will, the, the investigators <laughs> yeah. on the internet that was trying to help, was like, you know, obviously, somebody had tampered with this elevator. She was trying to figure out why the elevator door wouldn't close. Maybe she was trying to get away from yeah. somebody. And and it does look like she's trying to hide and or that she's running from someone. She steps out of the elevator at one point. And seriously, it looks like she's having a, a talk with somebody yeah. out in the hallway. Yeah. One of the people on the internet had said hand gestures. It looks like she's trying to cast a spell. <laughs> and, and seriously, once you hear that and you watch the footage, I mean, she's got her hands up in the air and you have to think psychedelics, maybe she's tripping out on some I drugs, mean, which obviously was in hard. the hotel. Again, the, the medical issues yeah. that she had. Yeah. But yeah, she went from like walking into the elevator quite calmly to definitely a panic stricken. Somebody's following. Somebody's after me. It it and then you know the first time I saw the footage and and you start hearing the little bits and pieces. Of course, 
you know, by the time you get to the end of the story, there's there's seemingly fairly mundane explanation. But when you see this little piece of video footage sort of out of context and they talk about how she disappeared and she reappeared, you know, her body was discovered. It, it, it's, it's really, I mean, really unsettling. It, it does look like someone's out to get her and that she's on the run from someone or something. Uh, some versions of the story even say, you know, we made the comment that the Cecil itself is not really haunted, but some versions of the story, you know, people are like, well, maybe she is running from something that you don't see on yes. the camera. Yeah. And, and I again, think some people may consider it almost like demonic activity, a possessed hotel, if you will. A severe mental disorder and, and, and never having suffered with something like that myself, I don't know what her particular disorder would cause her to experience. Right. She obviously I mean, felt she was seeing something it, or somebody yeah, was following. It was it, very it, clear. It, it's very obvious from the footage. It seems like she's on the run from something. Now, they interviewed the general manager uh, during that time frame. Her name is Amy Price. Uh, she served there as 10 years, as uh, basically when they bought the building to start renovating it in 2007 and stayed till 2017. And she, she's an interesting character. Uh, the police inter, you know, interviewer, and her words was, you know, in my time uh, there, it was my kingdom. She called wow. it my kingdom. And she even laughed at herself. She goes, you never know what was going to happen on any given day there. Uh, she reported to the police that uh, uh, Lamb had checked in on January 28th and had planned to stay for four days. Uh, so she had made those arrangements. Uh, and room 506 was her room. Uh, now, originally, this is a new concept for me. I didn't really understand, but I guess it's common. You shared room with strangers. Uh, they were, it had communal no, that's, bathrooms. That's not okay. I don't like um, that. Yeah. There was a communal bathroom down the hallway and she was sharing her room with two other girls, her same age. And, and I will say they, they had like a girl's area and a, you know, it wasn't mixed sexes, but again, they're, those are strangers. I'm not sure I would want to spend four days of my vacation in a, in a room with strangers, but the, the girls had said they'd actually approached, uh, a member of management and, and was talking about Elisa not acting right, acting like someone was following her, uh, out to get her. And so then at some point they moved her out of that communal room and give her her own room, uh, which kind of clouded things a little bit more. Well, and, and the floor that she was staying on did not have security cameras. There were several floors. So that either the cameras yeah. didn't work or they were never even installed. So they're, they're the only footage that they have is that elevator footage. Now, when the police come in, they brought uh, dogs and, and, you know, were tracking her scent. There was a window that led to a fire escape, which ultimately led to a, a climb up a ladder to the roof that was right down the hallway from that elevator. The dogs picked up her scent. And again, this has to be a couple days later. Yeah. Surprisingly, they, they were able to do it. But it did, the dogs dropped off at that window. And so the first thought was she thought somebody was following her or chasing her. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. And she made her exit out that window to try to escape. The video footage of that ladder, I, I'll just say it, it, it was scary as hell. There, there's nothing to, it's, it's a ladder 17 floors <laughs> up that your back is totally exposed to, and the only thing that's holding yeah. you there is your hands as you're going up the ladder. Yeah, with someone with a fear of heights, I don't even want to hear about that. Yeah. Ugh. Now, she could have went down, but again, that's that's quite a climb. There was also, however, a stairway roof access for maintenance. 
that was in that vicinity. I never fully understood where exactly it was in proximity to the elevator, but it was like a key card reader that had to be, you know, scanned to be able to use those steps. And maintenance swore that, you know, she did not go up to the roof or, or got away in that aspect. Well, without trying to, to jump ahead, though, three weeks later. Three weeks later. Uh, her, her naked body is discovered in one of the cisterns on the roof. One of three uh, water cisterns, water collection units that the hotel used for drinking, bathing water. I was going to say, the reason they looked into the cistern was that the residents were complaining of odd-tasting water. And brown water. Brown water and low water pressure. So it prompted them to look in there, and this is when they found... Guys, if you have a weak stomach, you might want to check out right here because what you're thinking did happen. Uh, There was a deceased body floating in one of the three cisterns, which I understood was about 10 foot tall. Uh, They did have a door hatch on the top that weighed about 20 pounds, and they found her body, as Bill stated, uh, naked, floating. They found her clothes in the bottom, which again... I think you said that was pretty common for drowning victims. They spoke with some doctors and, and stuff, and they said, yeah, as, you know, as a drowning victim, you know, really struggling, you know, your mind goes weird places. And again, as we talked, she struggled with a lot of mental issues, but you would shed your clothing thinking that they weighed yeah. more and would weigh you down. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, now, the maintenance guy who got this reported, he is the one that found her body up there. Um, there was a lot of stuff on the internet that you will find the door was latched. The the cap, if you will, was put back. So the question then would be, how did she get in the water 10 foot deep and somehow manage to lift a 20-foot door in water and close the hatch? And this is sort of the part of the story that, that kind of fuels the speculation online. According to uh, the police, and in the L.A. County coroner, her, her death was ruled a suicide. Mm-hmm. That she had a, it was an accidental death due to drowning, I think is the actual terminology, but it was, you know, there was no foul play involved. The police made this determination based on the elevator footage. Uh, They believe that she she was seeing things that weren't really there and that she had stepped into that tank to escape whatever perceived danger. And I could see how maybe she leveraged the lid enough to slip in and then it closed behind her. If she had fully opened it, I could even see someone... You know, maybe somebody in maintenance walking by, seeing it open, and, oh, oh hey, that yeah. shouldn't be open. Should and be just open. closing it. Right. Not that there was any foul play involved. And I think, ultimately, based on the behavior she's displayed and the accounts from other people and the fact that her medication was untouched, we kind of have to agree that, that maybe it was her own mental state that right. got her Maybe not a suicide. Well, by by way of insanity, by, I yes, guess. Yes, by might, way like, of insanity. To use that term. Yeah, it wasn't like she actively, I want to end my life. I, I my, Again, it, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I just don't think that was where she was at. But the, uh, the maintenance mechanic that was called, his name was uh, Santiago Lopez. Now, he later came forward and said, you know, I found the body. Uh, I had removed it, found. Or it was already removed, which made, to your point, I looked in it. That's not supposed to yeah. be that way. And I seen her body floating. Uh, I then, maybe out of respect or wanting to to keep it, you know, put the lid on it. So that took care of that yeah. whole, you know, hoopla that was going on. Well, she she didn't do that herself. Yeah, and and you know? that's the thing. And it, in the end, it just seems like it's her own mental state that gets us here. You know, we're we're not saying that the hotel Cecil's cursed or whatever. 
and but it does seem to add to that grim history that, that even you know somebody like her who really i mean she didn't she wasn't pushed to her death she didn't go there with the idea that she was going to kill herself and right. then still ends up you know this happened. this tragic circumstance happens there yeah it, it it just happened to be at the hotel cecil now i did I, I wanted to share another little little story here we had a couple their name is mike and sabrina ball b-a-u-g-h i assume that's how you pronounce it they were from england staying at the hotel <laughs> yeah you you told me about this. Yes, about the same time, Ugh. during the same time frame. Uh, they'd never been to America before. Uh, again, young young married couple, and they were like, let's go to America. Let's take this, you know, this epic trip. And so they went online, and again, they saw the this beautiful pictures and columns and, and, and you know, the stay on Maine and, you know, all of this. So they booked their hotel, uh, <laughs> found a really special deal online, uh, much cheaper than any place else they could stay in the area. Imagine that. Imagine that. And it was, you know, it was kind of my little, that cautionary deal I did in the beginning, you know, watch when the, when the rates are too cheap, there's probably a reason. <laughs> but they were actually one of the first, if not the first people to go to the management and complain that the water tasted funny uh, and the water that they were bathing in had a brown color. They let the sink run for a long period yeah. of time and it stayed brown. Uh, so they reported it. Uh, the management staff was, you know, they were sympathetic. And they said, well, you know, we'll, we'll move you to another room and try it. it. It seemed to be better, but the water pressure was still an issue. Uh, they said they went ahead and stayed another day. And they went out for a walk. And they happened to stumble across a uh, missing person poster. And it was for Alicia Lamb. And they were reading it. And it's like, I mean, they could quickly tell the neighborhood wasn't uh, all, you know, the, the best area, the Skid Row area. But they read the last caption at the bottom. <laughs> last known presence was at the Cecil Hotel. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is where we're staying. So they get back to the hotel. And this is after the police had started to get there and everything. And the next thing you know, they said it was just absolute chaos. People were checking out and leaving, and, and the hotel, of course, wasn't releasing any statements. The police wasn't sharing a lot at the time. Active investigation, very very normal protocol. But they come out, and for whatever reason, the news people, all the cameras caught them, and they were on several of these interviews. And the wife, Sabrina, was like, I knew that water tasted really bad uh-huh. and i'm just oh, like man. oh I, I think i just threw up a little bit in my that's, mouth you know it was yeah, like awful gross but they even when they checked in they said we could tell things were not quite all as they say once they got past that luxury entryway <laughs> uh they said that they noticed there were a lot of people not naked but very scattily dressed uh you know in in the rooms um, so, the, but the, then they were like, Hey, it's going to be all right. We've already booked it. We've already paid for it. We're literally just sleeping here. I mean, it'll be okay. And they, yeah, they ended up not making their, their complete stay. Well, if parts of this story sound familiar and you've never really heard it before, there's a possibility you've seen the 2005 film, uh, dark water, which seems as if it would be inspired by this story. But, yeah. but to 2013 is when Eliza, Elisa disappeared. So this movie and came so this out way before it. that. And it's it's uh it's a remake of a Japanese uh, horror film. But in it a a young woman and her son experience unusual encounters in a a seedy uh apartment building and uh 
turns out that a young girl has passed and drowned in one of the cisterns on the roof, and that has caused the haunting of this place. Who happened to wear almost the identical red jacket? And I don't remember. That was the, in the elevator yeah, footage. And I don't remember the name of the the building, but I want to say the names were very similar as well. So that's kind of a weird coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to sound a little anticlimactic here, but we do have one more. June thirteenth, twenty fifteen. Body of a twenty eight year old man is found outside the hotel. Some conjecture he may have jumped, uh, or you know, may have been pushed. No one really knows for sure. Uh, the spokesperson for the L.A. County coroner stated that the cause of death is unknown. And then that seems to be, you know, they would have been shut down not too long after that. It would have been, what, two years maybe, I think? Yeah. About that. 2017, I think, is when they shut down. So, you know, the Hotel Cecil, in addition to all the suicides and murders and, and grisly inns that people have met, it's also kind of a notorious rendezvous spot for adulterous couples, drug activity. It's a common common ground for sex workers. Names may not be true names that actually registered to stay there, you know, that kind of stuff. A little bit more on the Alicia Lamb case. Uh, Once they went back and interviewed over 50 employees multiple times, the detectives did find, uh, they didn't have video footage, but the people that worked their staff actually reported they did see Alicia the night she had disappeared. They actually had to escort her out of an area that was called off limits to the people who stayed on, stay on Main. So I'm assuming this was, you know, <laughs> you're on the wrong side of the hotel or the wrong floor. Yeah. And they, they said that she did seem confused, turned around, disoriented, lost. Um, and that when they started escorting her, that she raced down the hallway <laughs> towards that same elevator later that the footage was taken. Now, is, if this story wasn't, strange enough and you've got all the conspiracy theories i did come across one other little thing there's not a lot of information but i felt i needed to share this and it was a tie to tuberculosis cases on skid row during the same time frame and you might be like well what how does this relate well the college that elisa lamb was attending in uh, canada actually specializes had a lab especially for tuberculosis, understanding, treating it, and and research for it. She was a member of that, was participating in her schooling as as part of that. Um, Where this all connects together, the tests that had to be given for the tuberculosis test was Lam Elsa. Yeah, I remember Literally her first and last name reversed. Uh, So this led to a lot of conspiracy theories. Uh, to top it off, now Elsa's, you know, the College University of British Columbia, you know, had the training center, if you will. The, there was some stuff there. There was also a connection to the uh, a shop that she visited. It was a bookstore, and it was called the Last Bookstore. Uh, she visited there, we know, at least twice, possibly as many as four times during her stay. Some of the outside video footage did have two men that were carrying a box of books. We assume that she had purchased maybe at the shop and she had had mentioned to the bookshop that she wanted to be cautious how many books she bought. She was kind of a smaller, frail person. She didn't have to pack them all the way back to the hotel. So that was kind of written off. Well, that was some of the staff members that carried the books for, but the bookstore did not, if I understood right, did not recognize either one of these guys that was carrying the books for another kind of down the rabbit hole. 
uh, that parallel of the last bookstore shop that she visited, if you go online and you look at their webpage register, there's a zip code for a mailing address. If you put that in Google Maps, it brings up Burnaby, D.C., which is the fact, uh, the address of the cemetery where Elsa's body is actually buried. Then in the middle of all this, of course, is the, is the Cecil Hotel. That tuberculosis case broke out on Skid Row like weeks right after her disappearance. Coincidence? Maybe, but there's a lot of weird yeah. stuff there. Uh, so there is a theory that maybe the there's a government conspiracy that maybe the fact that Elsa, or Lisa, I'm sorry, was part of this tuberculosis outbreak, um, somehow tied to that, <laughs> maybe brought the tuberculosis to Skid Row, knowing that that was, this sounds horrible, but, you know, homeless people, let's, what happens and let's, you know. So, wow. I mean, there's, there's that. We'll close the page on, yeah. on that, but it's, uh, weird to say the least so in in summary do you do you book a hotel room in if the hotel i find Cecil? a cheap deal buddy i'm gonna take it <laughs> <laughs> i i will be honest when i started researching this my wife and i were like early on it's like that might be a cool place to go and, and then the more i read about it it's like eh, there, there's no haunting activity listed there's one nothing there plus yeah. do you i mean i don't want to become a ghost there either there. you know so yeah well, what was it? They said if you went above the sixth, sixth floor, floor, that was considered anything above the sixth floor was considered dangerous. I, I actually saw an interview um, with a man who lived there. He, he, you know, he was homeless at the time, and he said I was in a bad place. I'd lost my job. I was on drugs and everything. And he goes, I mean, I lived there. I knew this area. He goes, I did not even go above the sixth floor. You know, if you went on the sixth floor or above, there's a chance you ain't coming back out. You know, or if you did a maybe a window. That's no way to leave. So um, this is brought to you by Booking.com. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, no a, affiliation at all. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. <laughs> but uh, as Bill said, the hotel is currently still closed due to the whole uh, pandemic 2020 case. But uh, definitely an interesting twisted fate of stories all intertwined in a in a dark web, if you will. Maybe not haunted. Maybe not ghostly. But definitely creepy. That's yet another tale that you will find here on Nightmares of the Lost Highway. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, London, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for, again, supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, <laughs> using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms. 
the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.